man, it's good to see y'all faces once again. I love the summer. It's nice to have a little bit of a break, and we do some different things around here throughout the summer. Ministry doesn't really slow down. It just kind of changes for our church, and especially for me. But we are back to one of my favorite times of the year, and I'm so excited to see your smiling faces back in front of me again tonight. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. I've been looking forward to this moment all summer long. I've missed you guys over the past couple of months. Find someone around you you haven't seen in a while and tell them, I've missed you. I've missed you. I've missed you. Let them know they've been missed over the past couple of months and you're excited to see their face again. Hey, I feel like God has placed uh, so much in my heart to share with you this year. Like I'm like bursting at the seams. I can't hardly keep it inside of me anymore. We've got a lot to cover, but we've got to start with tonight's text first and foremost. So Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 15. As Paul is writing to these believers, he says this, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. If you've been a part of this community in the past, then you know each year I like to start with a focus. It could be a principle, it could be a challenge, it could be an action. But I spend my summer months asking God for something specific, something that we collectively need to pursue together. And time and time again throughout these past couple of months, he's brought me into this one word, this one desire, and it was quite simply this, grow. Over and over and over and over again, as I began to pray over you guys, as I began to seek a direction for where God would have us go kind of as a group, a banner to hang over this year that we have together, he brought me to this term, this, this knowledge, this action, this desire time and time again, and it's to grow. I believe that's because God has a desire for each of us to grow in who we are in him and in our walk with him. Matter of fact, when you look throughout scripture, growth is an expected thing in the life of a believer. When we by faith surrender our life to Jesus and he makes us new, a new life, a new life is sprouted and the growing process begins, and listen to me, is to remain continual. We've got a word for it. We've got a, a theological word for it. It's called sanctification. It's the act of becoming more like him. And so when you surrender your life to Christ and he gives you a new life, that new life sprouts up within you and you begin to grow day by day. And it is a continual process that, that remains until the day that our time here on this earth is over. So Paul says that he speaks to these believers, we are to grow up. Not we might grow up or to consider growing up, or that there's even the potential to grow up. He says we are to grow up. But for some reason, it seems like when I ask people, are you growing in your walk with Christ? So many times it's met with a response of, well, I mean, yeah, kind of. Or so often it's met with this response is, well, I mean, not really. I can't really tell you the last time I experienced a good season of growth in my spiritual life, growth is an expected aspect in the life of a believer. But Paul doesn't just leave it at we are to grow up. He layers that with in every way into Christ. 
There are so many ways, there are so many areas of our lives that ought to be growing into Christ. Paul says in every way. So there are all kinds of ways. There are all kinds of areas. There are all kinds of disciplines of our lives that we ought to be growing into Christ in. Way too many for us to cover tonight with one another. And so as I began studying through this passage, and feeling like this is where God was leading me for tonight, I began to pray and ask him, say, okay, God, narrow it down for me. What main specific areas do you desire to see growth in, in my life, in the lives of these students over this next season? What are the main areas that you desire to see growth in our lives in? And so with the next few moments, I want to give you what he gave me. Is that all right? Can I share it with you? Okay. Don't be too excited about it by any means. I feel like my level of excitement is way higher than everybody else's right now. I know I'm not as pretty to look at as y'all are, and that's fine. You probably enjoyed not having to look at me over the summer, but I'm excited. And I need you to be excited with me. So can I share it with you? Yeah. All right. That's what I'm talking about. All right, so here are some ways. Here are some areas of life, of our lives, that God sees us needing growth in. And let me add this disclaimer. Growth rarely comes without pain. If you desire to improve yourself physically, you start going to the gym. But let's say it's been two or three years since you've been in the gym. Those first few workout sessions, you're going to be hurting the next few days. Your arm's going to be dead. And let's say you get ambitious, right? And so you jump right in with leg day. And then the next day, like going to the bathroom becomes like the most major task of your life. You're sore. You hurt. You experience a little bit of pain. Why? Because you're starting to grow. You're starting to exercise those muscles that have been dormant for a while. When, when you're young, when you're going through your adolescent years and your body is growing, your muscles are growing, your bones are continuing to form, you experience growth pains throughout those years. I remember when I was in like fifth, sixth grade, I used to have like the worst leg cramps because I experienced such a rapid period of growth during that time frame in my, in my life. I'd like lay in the bed at night and just roll around unable to sleep because my legs were aching so bad. And even though it was pain... It was a pain that was showing signs of growth. So growth rarely comes without pain. So as we talk about some of these things tonight, and as God begins to grow you in some of these areas, I want to forewarn you, you may experience some pain in those places, but listen to me, this pain means progress. So it's a good pain, and one that we should desire, one that we should seek after. So let me share you a few things, a few areas that I believe God desires for us to grow in over this next season of life that we have together. And the first is this, grow your trust. The vast majority of us in this place need to grow in our trust in God. Because the studies have been done and the results are in, you guys are the most anxious generation in history. Congratulations. I don't know if that's something that you want to wear as like a badge of honor or shame. I don't know, but... All I know is those are the studies and those are the actual results. You guys have now been labeled the most anxious generation in history. Not the generations that went through the Great Depression. Not the generations that fought world wars. You guys. You guys that have more technology at your disposal than any other time frame. You guys that have more comforts of living than any other time frame. You're the most anxious generation to ever live on the face of the earth according to the scientific studies that have been done. If you have a problem with it, take it up with Rutgers or whatever, whoever did the study, because they're the ones that, that brought it in. It's the first day of classes. Let me show you. It's the first day of classes. 
And some of you are already about to break out in hives. All you got was the syllabus. And you took one look at it and began to search frantically for the inhaler. And you don't even use an inhaler. But you needed one because you're like, oh, God. What, what we got? What we got? Discussion boards? I got to post twice a week. Oh, my goodness. We're only having two exams? Two. That means if I fail one. Oh. Oh, what else we got? What else we got? A group project? Oh, my goodness. I, oh, wait a minute. That might work out because I can piggyback off of somebody. You're already anxious, and it's the first day. How, let's be honest. We love to be transparent and vulnerable in this community. So let's start early. How many of you are already anxious? First day of class. Thank you so much for being honest. I've never been around a group of people that were so stressed, so worried, and so anxious all the time. And listen to me, I'm not trying to condemn that. I understand stress. I understand worry. I understand anxiety. I have a two-year-old. I understand all those things. And I deal with them on a daily basis myself. So the purpose of this isn't to condemn, but to curb. We've got to curb our stresses, our worries, and our anxieties, and to trust in God. Who, by the way, is sovereign and in control of all things. Isaiah chapter 45, verses 4 through 12. It's kind of an extensive passage, but it's one of my favorite ones when it comes to really showing how in control God is of all things. And listen to what he says to the prophet. He says, for the sake of my servant Jacob and Israel my chosen, I call you by name. I name you, though you do not know me. I am the Lord and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me. That people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Shower, O heavens, from above and let the clouds rain down righteousness. Let the earth open that salvation and righteousness may bear fruit. Let the earth cause them both to sprout. I, the Lord, have created it. Woe to him who strives with him who formed him. A pot among earthen pots. Does the clay say to him who forms it? What are you making? Or your work has no handles? Woe to him who says to a father, What are you begetting? Or to a woman, With what are you in labor? Thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, and the one who formed him, Ask me of things to come. Will you command me concerning my children and the work of my hands? I made the earth and created man on it. It was my hands that stretched out the heavens, and I commanded all their hosts. Is God not in control? He is sovereign over all things. He is in control over all things. He has promised to never leave or forsake us. Deuteronomy 31.6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. And it is God who has told us not to be anxious. Why? Because he will take care of every need that we had. Listen, this is what God had to say. This is what Jesus had to say about anxiety while he was on the earth. In Matthew chapter 6, he says this, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. It's not life more than food, and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory is not arrayed 
like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. You know, I think we struggle with trust because most of us at some point have had it betrayed. And we then carry that over to not fully trusting God for the fear of the same thing happening. Let me tell you the problem with that. The problem with that is you're projecting man's failure on God's character. No one, no one, no one is more trustworthy than our God because he has never gone back on a promise. And he has never failed in his word. If anyone is deserving of our trust, it's an ever faithful God. Let me show you something real quick. Everybody stand up for a moment. Just real quick. I know you got comfortable, you got your Bibles out, you got your notes and all that good stuff, but just stand up just for a moment. Turn around and give like two or three people a high five real quick. High five, slap hands. All right, all right, good, good, good. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want everybody to sit back down. Sit back down, get your Bibles back out, get, get, your, get your nose, get it all fixed back up in front of you like you had it before I messed up. A lot of you in that moment just exemplified more trust in your chair than you've given to your God in the past five years. Why? Because every day you interact with chairs. You go to class and you sit down. You go to the gym and you sit down. You go to work and you sit down. You go home and you sit down. Each time you sit, that chair holds you up. Listen, you're, you're so accustomed to its reliability to do its job that you never think about or question it. Yet we struggle to trust an ever-faithful God. Why? Because we have such limited interaction with him. You want to grow in trust this year? Spend more and more and more time with God. And as you do so, listen to me, as you do so, you will become so accustomed to his faithfulness that you will never question whether he will or whether he won't, whether he will provide or whether he will sustain. Grow your trust this year. Second thing I feel like God laid upon my heart to share with you. Grow your knowledge. And by that I mean growing your knowledge of who God is and what he desires and what he commands. Jesus even taught us that growing in our knowledge of him is one way that we express love for him. So listen to what he says in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. One of the ways in which we love Christ is to love him with our mind. Now, this one takes work. Learning isn't easy. Would you agree? Learning can be a difficult thing. 
but we're to make the effort nonetheless. Peter says this to believers in 2 Peter 3.18. He says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul even prayed for the believers he knew in this way in Ephesians chapter 1. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might. Paul wanted these believers to know the hope that they have in Jesus, the riches that they have in Jesus, and the power that they have in Jesus. And I don't know about you guys, but I want to discover all that I can about my God. I don't want to be content with just knowing a little bit about the depths of his goodness and his grace and his mercy and his love and the riches that he has for me and the hope that he has for me and the power that he can work through me. I want to know all that I can about the God who has called me and redeemed me and saved me and purposed me with a job into his kingdom. But that takes work. That takes effort. Have you ever thought about the fact that God knows everything about you? It can be kind of weird at times to think about. There's a lot of stuff that we don't want God to know about us. But he knows everything about you, every intimate detail of your life, every quirk of your personality. He knows what makes you smile. He knows what you enjoy doing. There is nothing about us that he doesn't know. What if we desired to know God as intimately as he knows us? Everything about you he's aware of. Everything about you he takes an interest in. What if we grabbed his word and sat down and said, God, help me to know you as well as you know me. You think that would transform your relationship with him? You think it would transform your life? You think that would cause growth to take place in your life? I promise you that it would. But here's the deal. Here's one thing I really want us to focus in over this year in our growth, and that's growing and knowing his character. Knowing his love, knowing his grace, knowing his mercy, knowing his power, knowing his sovereignty, his holiness, his righteousness. But on top of that, I also want us to grow in knowing what pleases him. Let's add this to that. I want us to grow in knowing what grieves him. But I also want us to grow in knowing what he takes delight in. Because whatever my God delights in, that's what I want to delight in. Whatever my God grieves in, that's what I want to stay away from. Whatever my God finds pleasure in in my life and when I do it, that's what I want to do even more. But to, to do those things, I've got to know him. I've got to spend time with him. I've got to get into his word and find out what those things are. And the best way to grow in our knowledge of someone is to have a conversation with them. I've been doing this for quite a long time now. The people that I get to know in this room the best are the ones that are willing to sit down and talk. You want to get to know your God on a greater level? You want to get to know your God in a deeper, more intimate way? Sit down and talk with Him. It's this thing called prayer. It's kind of a cool privilege He gives to those of us who are saints. The opportunity to sit down and have a one-on-one conversation with Him. Sit down and talk with God this year. Get to know Him in a greater way. Grow your knowledge, but grow your consistency too. 
Now, before you make any accusations or assumptions against me on this one, I'm not talking about attendance. Because some of you might have thought, oh, here we go. What a pastor move. He got everybody here tonight. Now he's going to guilt them into trying coming back. And I, I'm not talking about attendance. I'm not talking about attendance. Do I want you to be here every week? Yes, I do. Do I want you to join a life group and find community? Yes, I do. But if I was talking specifically about those things, then we'd need to talk about commitment, not consistency. Let's talk about consistency. Consistency is being reliable. Consistency is the same day in and day out. Now, you may think, what does that have to do with my spirituality and my growth? Well, I'd say a lot, a whole lot, because growth comes when we consistently spend time in the Word and in prayer, day in and day out, setting aside, setting aside time to spend it with our Father, not just going through the normalcy of every single day, not just trudging through our responsibilities so we can get them done and be done with the day, but setting aside time to spend time with Him each and every day. Some of you, well, most of you, we got some adults here tonight, but a lot of you just came out of summer break, and I would dare say that already you're dragging spiritually. Why? Because you were inconsistent through your summer. Summer came around. Summer's me time. Put in the work in the fall and the spring. Summer's my time, so I'm going to take some time off. I'm going to relax. I'm going to enjoy some things. I'm going to go some places. I hang out with my friends. I'm going to do some Jesus stuff. That's how it starts. But then over time, you, you go some places, you do some things, you see some friends, you take some time, and the summer comes to an end, and Jesus got left at the front. And you became inconsistent in your time in the Word. You became inconsistent in prayer. You became inconsistent in worship. You became inconsistent in, in being around godly community, and now all of a sudden you're dragging spiritually because you're lacking in consistency. And I don't know if you've ever realized it or not, but consistency is an attribute of God's character. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, says this, Jesus Christ is the same, the same, yesterday and today and forever. That is the definition of consistent. He's consistent in his word. He's consistent in his love. He's consistent in his grace. He's consistent in his mercy. He's consistent in his holiness. He's consistent in his judgments. Thank God he's consistent in his pursuit of us. And so this is where I really think God wants to see us grow in our consistency. And it's like this, being more consistent in how we love the world around us. Being more consistent in our attitudes, being like Christ. Being more consistent, get this, in our actions matching up with our proclamations. Because something God's convicted me of over the past few weeks is that too often we as the church, we show the world more contradiction than consistency with our lives. And, and so we get together and we proclaim his love. We proclaim his grace. We proclaim his mercy, his forgiveness, his holiness, and his goodness, yet we go out and we live without love. We go out and we hold grudges and we harbor bitterness. We give ourselves to fleshly passions and desires, holding a selfish mentality. When we do that, we contradict the God we declare to serve and the message we proclaim as true. I think one of the reasons that the church has lost its effectiveness and its witness is because it's become inconsistent in its actions. Now, we're still saying the same stuff. We're still proclaiming the same message. 
But so often our lives are guilty of not going up and aligning with that. We show contradiction. We show inconsistency by the way in which we live amongst the lost and dying world. And I'm not saying that to jump on you from the get-go at the beginning of the semester, but guys, you have a limited time on the campus that you're at. First impressions are big impressions. So as you go on to class, as you go into your dorms, as you meet your new roommate, what is their first impression of you going to be? What are you going to declare to them with your life? And as they hear it coming out of your mouth, are they going to see the actions of your life aligning with the things that you're proclaiming? We need to be more consistent in how we live our lives under God. On top of that, inconsistency is misery. Wouldn't you agree? I can't stand it. I can't stand not, not having things set in place. I don't like not knowing the next thing that's coming. That's one of the reasons why I, I like summer, but I hate summer. Because there's just a lot of inconsistent things in summer. And then you guys show back up and I know, hey, we got Wednesday, we got Sunday, we got Wednesday, we got Sunday, we got Wednesday, we got Sunday, we got Wednesday, we got Sunday. I love the consistency of that because it holds me accountable and it keeps me grounded. I can't stand inconsistency. And so here's my challenge to each and every one of us. Let's love day in and day out. Let's forgive day in and day out. Let's live righteous day in and day out. Let's serve day in and day out. Grow in your consistency this year. But also grow your gift. Let's go back to what Paul was saying to the Ephesian believers. Let's go back to chapter 4 with me. And let's look at verse 15 again. He says, Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. God has given each of us that are a part of his body a specific giftedness in some way. Some of you have a giftedness to be able to teach. Some of you are gifted in encouragement. Some of you have a giftedness in discernment and in wisdom. Some of you have a giftedness in being merciful. Some of you have a gift of being a strong leader. Some of you have musical gifts. Some of you have creative gifts. Some of you have relational gifts. You never meet a stranger. Paul says we are equipped. And when we use what we've been given, the entire body grows as a result of that. This is why it's important that you grow in your gift because your growth in your gift grows the body in its giftedness. It makes the whole body grow along together. So each of us has a giftedness in some way or in some area that God has given to us. And we have a responsibility to use it, but also to grow it. And just so you think I didn't put this down because it sounded cool and the G's matched up and all that stuff, let me give you some biblical backing. So Paul's speaking to Timothy, who is a young pastor, and he says this in 1 Timothy chapter 4. He says, do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. What do you do with a gift? Hopefully you practice it. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. So Paul tells Timothy, don't neglect your gift. If you were to look up antonyms for growth, you would find the word neglect as one of them. Because the neglect is to not care for, it's to not to give attention to, it's to not dedicate any time towards. That's what neglect is. So let me suggest this. If the church isn't growing, could it possibly be in part because people are neglecting their gifting? 
So watch what Paul tells Timothy a little later on. 2 Timothy chapter 1, he says this, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Hey, if you've got godly family members in your life, that's a blessing. And he says this in verse 6, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you. Paul tells Timothy, fan into flame the gift that is in you. God gave it, but we get to grow it. He says, Timothy, man, you've got this amazing gift inside of you that God's given you. First and foremost, don't neglect it. Because when you do that, you cripple the body. Secondly, take that thing and fan it into flame. God put it in there as a spark but you can turn it into a blaze. That's why we grow our gifts. That's why I'm, I'm challenging, I'm encouraging you to, to grow the gift in this, whatever it may be that God has placed inside of you. Fan it into flame. I played baseball when I was at UNA. And coming out of high school, uh, I wasn't the best, but I wasn't the worst. It's kind of just like your mediocre type player. And Coach Lane was there when... I was there, so if you go by UNA's field, that guy's name that's on the scoreboard out there, that's the guy I played for my freshman year. He knew I wasn't very good. And I'll tell you why, because he gave me a scholarship opportunity and he offered me $200 for a semester so I could, like, buy one book. <laughs> I think it was like a courtesy pick just because I was a local kid and I was somewhat decent, so he's like, I'm sure we can add this guy. Like, he'd probably make a good bullpen catcher or something like that, go get foul balls and all that stuff. I wasn't very good. But I wasn't the worst either, but he gave me an opportunity. And here's the thing, when I got there, every day I worked, every single day I worked. Rain, shine, it didn't matter, I was working. Even when nobody else wanted to get out there with me, I'd get a bucket of balls, there's a concrete wall behind center field, I painted a white square on it. I would throw that bucket of balls at that wall to grow the giftedness that I have. And eventually it worked out in my favor. I got a lot better during my time there. Whatever giftedness God has given you, fan it into flame this year. Stop neglecting and start growing. Become an even better teacher. Be an even better encourager. Being an even better leader, a better guitarist, a better singer. Because when you grow your gift, you glorify God. It honors Him. When you take what He has given you and fan it in the flame. Last one, grow your identity. Let's finish with a biggie. I've been on campus a lot the past couple of weeks. I talked with a freshman the other day, and, and they were wide-eyed. You know, it was like a new experience. All this was kind of like big for them. And I remember them saying to me, I have no clue what I'm doing or who I'm going to be. Because I ask, hey, have you figured out what you're going to do with your life? Or what are you going to major in? I have no idea. Now, I can relate to that because I was the same way. I was clueless. And that's okay to appoint it at that place in time. But, you know, I had the same conversation with another student, except they were a senior. Now, that's a little more of a problem at that point. If you're still clueless, you still have no idea, you still don't know what you're doing at that point, that's a little bit more of an urgent, pressing need. Like, I can work it out, trust me. But it's a little bit more of a problem. After that much time, you need to have somewhat of an idea as you get to the end. But you know, so many followers of Jesus are the same way. Christ has made you a new creation. The old is gone. New life is given. He did that 8, 10, 12 years ago, but you still haven't grasped who you are and all that you have in him. You've never grown in your new identity. 
You're still clueless about who you are now in Jesus and what abundant life is really about. Listen, we all have our flaws. We all have our imperfections. We all have our failures. Paul, as a matter of fact, said this in 1 Corinthians 15, after he's talked about all the ways in which he was against God, all the ways in which he pushed back against him, all the ways in which he rebelled against him, all the ways in which he persecuted his church. He gets to the end of that and he says this, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with them. And when we don't seek to fully understand our identity in Christ, you know what I hear Paul saying in that? He's saying when we don't seek to fully understand our identity in Christ, we waste our grace. It's in vain. It does us no good. That's why I, got, I want you to grasp so fully who you are in Jesus. And don't chase after the fickle things of the world that, that fade away and don't last. Listen, in Christ, if you are in Christ like I am in Christ, I am loved. I, I looked at these things in Scripture today. These are scriptural truths. In Christ, I am loved. I am adopted. I am righteous. I'm rich, purposed, new, redeemed, blessed, worthy, forgiven, appointed, empowered, secure, sufficient, favored. All those things and more is who we are in Christ. Now, why wouldn't you want to grow in your understanding of who you are in Him? Why wouldn't you want to grasp more fully the greatness of the abundant life that He gave His life for you to have? I'm going to finish up with this story. So you can go ahead and put your stuff up if you want to. We're going to get ready to go into a response time and worship our way out of here. Here in a moment, I bumped into a guy I went to high school with. I hadn't seen him in a while. And I was complimenting him on how good he looked. And he said, because, uh, you know, you guys will understand when you get out of high school, you get out of college, and, and things just start to go bad. I mean, gravity starts to take its toll. Metabolism starts slowing down. Like, it just, you can't put it together like you once did. And so he actually looked pretty good, so I was complimenting him on that. And, and he said this. This is what he said to me. He said, yeah, man. Thank God for glow-ups. I was like, and now I try to stay up to time pretty well, but I had to look that one up. Do y'all know what a glow-up is? Who in here knows what a glow-up is? Okay. He said, yeah, thank God for glow-ups. Then he started talking about all that he was doing to, to keep himself healthy. And so I got my truck and I drove away before I, I drove away, I pulled it up and I was like, what's a glow up? <laughs> and then I found out what it was and I was like, man, whatever. So I drove down the road a little bit further and I just couldn't stop thinking about what he said. Thank God for glow ups. And the more I thought about it, the more I began to realize that it wasn't so much a glow up as it was a grow up. His body, his frame, it just grew. It matured. And the result was an image that apparently he liked a lot better. So the grow up caused the glow up. And I got to thinking about us as a body. I think about us and our walk with Christ. And this is why I want you to focus on growth this year because when we grow up into Christ, that's when we begin to glow up for Christ. 
the more we grow in him, the more founded we are, the more rooted we are in him, the more our lives begin to glow his image, his character, his nature, his attributes. Man, it's time to grow up, men and women of God. Hey, this is Trey Mitchell, college and young adult pastor. I just wanted to say thank you for listening. It's our prayer that God uses these messages in a way that challenge and encourage you to live for His glory. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus as your Savior, we would love to help you with making that decision. Just reach out to us through our webpage at underwoodbaptist.org. Be sure to check back in with us next week as we again encounter God through His Word here at Life.